Welcome to the Woman Who Rubs the Mountain podcast, a gathering place for conversations and stories of ecological embodiment. I'm your host and guide, Kendra Ward. So tuning in today to our true inquiry, we're wondering what happens when we rub on the body of the earth. How does she brush back against us? Here, we're seeking an intimacy, a love affair with the land and beings where we live. Let us come together in creative, strange, disruptive ways of relating beyond the human-centric limitations of our current dreaming. By sharing experiences of embodied ecology, our reality shifts, our core truths sharpen, and space is made for a new, old, earth-honoring culture to reemerge. So I am so very honored and in gratitude to be in conversation today with Chris Omni, who is an eco-spiritualist, two-time TEDx speaker, Black women's health researcher, published author, internationally recognized poet and presenter, and documentary filmmaker. Chris holds a bachelor's degree in human services, two master's degrees, public health and liberal arts, and is currently a doctoral candidate at Florida State University, where she's researching black joy in green spaces through the methodologies of autoethnography and visual narrative inquiry. Chris values the unapologetic voice, her voice and agency to speak life, love, and light to all people with a particular emphasis on black people. She views her body as a vessel that has not only delivered life, but receives life in the form of lessons and abilities from the ancestors. As others have stated, Chris is a whole vibe. So thank you so much for being here today with me, Chris. It's you a joy. Are, you are most welcome, Kendra. Thank you for inviting me for sharing this platform. Mm. Beautiful. Well, I'd love to just ground in place a little bit by tuning into the new old name of the of the place where you live and how you find intimacy in this place and how you experience an embodied connection and stories are very encouraged as well. We can go all over. <laughs> <laughs> we have to go one by one. Okay. But I am here in Tallahassee, Florida, and this is the land of the Appalachian. Um, as we sit here, I am reminded that we were not the first ones here. Um, knowing that there was a movement before us allows me to sit in gratitude, to know that the way has been paved for this conversation to even take place. I believe you asked specifically, like, how do I rub up against mm -hmm. the earth and, mm -hmm. and have this eco intimacy? I love grounding, like no shoes. <laughs> nice. No shoes, no socks, and walking around the house like that, walking outside in the healing garden like that, walking in the neighborhood. But that's how I literally rub the earth. And I've even taught classes on earthing where we take our shoes off and we're present with Mother Earth. And as we breathe, we feel her breath. We feel her breath enter our body through our soles of our feet 
dance in the soles of our bodies. And then if it's a beautiful day, we can feel the breath as we're rubbing the earth. So the name of your podcast truly resonates with me because this is an embodied practice. It is a way to engage with the earth and also engage with ourselves. So I think that's two of your questions. <laughs> yep. Yep. And what was your third one? Oh, my third one was really not a question, but just sometimes it's fun to explore through story. So it's just, yeah, wondering if you have any any recent stories about that sense of embodiment. Mm, actually, I do. And I'm glad this came up. And if we were outside, I'd be able to take you on the tour of my healing garden. But I have a new friend out there. And I call my, my plants, my green kids, my green family. And my, my new green kid is a um, elephant ear plant. And this elephant ear was out on the side of the road, underneath some twigs, branches, trash. And it was just simply discarded. Hmm. A couple of weeks earlier, I had seen a YouTube video about being able to cut chunks of an elephant ear and place it in water. We were talking about propagation earlier, mm -hmm. which is a lovely conversation in and of itself. So we can go back to that for a story. But when I, when I watched that on YouTube, I said, one of these days, I'll have a chance to just cut a chunk and stick it in water and see what happens. Be careful what you ask for, because that happened less than two weeks later. I'm walking the neighborhood. I love rescued plants. And when I saw it, I'm like, I'm going back, I'm getting my saw, I'm cutting these chunks off. So I go out with my saw at night, probably wasn't the best idea, but I cut this chunk off and I bring it back and I cut it into fours, place two in water, two in the soil. You're not going to see any roots take place in the first week or so. So I walk back down the street and I still saw it under the piles of trash. But this time I saw something different. The leaves were, were just damaged and bent and burnt. But in between the leaves, you could see this new sprout. You could see the beginning of life underneath all of this rubble. I was like, metaphorically, I have got to bring you home. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you survive or not. But the fact that you were not there when I was there the first time to get the chunks mm -hmm. was an invitation to bring you home. And I consider this a healing garden because about 90% of the plants out there are rescued. That I help to heal them as they help to heal me, which is yet another way of connecting and rubbing um, mm -hmm. by nurturing and being nurtured in the process. So I brought her home, put her in a beautiful red pot to be representative of the root chakra and literally growing through this, this concept of newness and beginning. And even though it was discarded, there's still life. That one little, little something that was trying to grow has now produced two big elephant ears and just this morning, I saw a small one starting to emerge and another one coming out the side. 
So it is, it's my love affair right now. <laughs> Going out to watch her grow and to learn the lessons that she has for me. Mm. So that's what I have. That's current. Beautiful. That is very, um, just to even get the update on, on, on the progress um, is really exciting. I, I also, you know, just like you go into Lowe's and you look at all the plants wilted and needing water and just like, you know, you um like adoption, refu refugees, bringing them home. You know, it's this, um, it's that feeling of, um, of connection in a different way, especially with plants that, you know, discarded, life discarded that way. Right. So, yeah, I really relate. Um, well, tonight's conversation is really centered around celebrating Black joy and belonging in green spaces. And I was hoping that you might speak to joy as in all of its forms, um, but particularly as an as a form of subversion and resistance. Mm. Just when I hear Black joy, just those two words together create a frequency that is just so vibrational where this is what happens. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like that roller coaster ride of, yes, here we go. Mm. So in my TED talk, I gave a poetic theorization of Black joy. And since then, I have been doing additional research, peer-reviewed music, other not necessarily peer-reviewed sources, but um, popular sources around Black joy and blogs and conferences. So everything that I'm learning still supports this public theorization. And it goes like this. Black joy is a statement. Black joy is a stride. Black joy is permission. Black joy is pride. Black joy is a form of resistance and black joy is a form of rest. Black joy is anything and everything you need it to be because truly black joy is the best. So even within that poetic theorization, it speaks to what you were saying in terms of resistance. The first line is black joy is a statement. I decided that my dissertation was going to be about joy. I was tired of the deficit narrative. My research, even coming through public health, started with the deficit narrative. And a lot of research regarding Black people, and, and Black women in particular when it comes to health matters, is rooted in a deficit lens. I was guilty of that type of research. In 2016, my mama transitioned from a 26-year battle with cancer. And after she transitioned, I wanted to learn more about cancer. And then wanting to learn more about cancer, I learned about all these other um, disparities that disproportionately impact Black women. So with cancer, we are 42% more likely to die from cancer. We are 60% more likely to be diabetic. Over 80% of us are overweight and obese. You see how that deficit lens continues to be 
transferred through research and it's just easy to spit out. But what society is not telling you is that 100% of those black women have stories of true joy. You can still have joy and live with hypertension. You can still have joy and live with cancer. I witnessed it. <laughs> I witnessed it and I even recorded some of it because we captured a lot of those memories during her last 10 days of life. When she, when the hospice bed arrived, mama still had a smile on her face. Mama was still wanting to do Facebook videos. She loved the idea of being Facebook famous. Uh -huh. She wanted to know what the comments were and, and what people were saying and thinking. And that brought her joy. Watching TV <laughs> was bringing her joy. We did not have um, like this end of life sadness experience. We had a celebration of life. And we had wine set up in her room and we would record the interactions of people coming in to share their love, not say goodbye, to share their love and have wine. Mama couldn't drink a lot of wine, but she, what she did was take her little sip as you drank the whole glass. <laughs> <laughs> so I watched Joy in the face of death. And even though I saw that, I was not in a position in 2016, like emotionally and spiritually, to turn my research focus into joy. It was not until we moved to Tallahassee in June of 2020, in the middle of the pandemic, when, what could we do? Go outside. And I felt that love and that renewal. When my mama transitioned, and I have a tattoo of a cardinal right here. When my mama transitioned, there was a cardinal outside of her window. So when I go outside and I'm communing with Mother Earth and I see the cardinal, who am I seeing? I'm seeing my mama. So when I got here and I started falling in love with Mother Earth, and Mother Earth was always like, I've always loved you. I was just waiting on you to show up. <laughs> I've always been here. When will you wake up? Take your time. I'll be here. I was here before you. I'll be here after you. Take your time. That pivotal, pivotal moment in nature made me say joy is the direction that I have to go. And Black joy specifically in green spaces connects that, that self-love piece with that ancestral piece with the eco-love piece. And there's this beautiful triad that exists when we are communing with Mother Earth. So specifically, I guess I could say, because I'm tired of the deficit narrative and it's time for something new. That's why Black Joy is a statement. That's why my research is a statement. Thank you so much for that amazing, beautiful story. Um, I, I I feel like I'm going to, well, at the end of our conversation, I'm going to share some audio from your moving TJ collections, the True Joy collections. 
in honor of your dad, Thomas James. Um, mm. But I think that in listening to all of these gorgeous women sharing their joy, sharing their black joy of all sorts of things. I mean, it just is so, it's so apparent. It's just so glorious and radiant. Um, so I'm excited for everyone to get to, to witness and hear that as well. Thank you. Yeah. Well, it seems to me like one of your superpowers is this ability to hold space for people. Like that mm -hmm. is really apparent in that video. Um, you know, to feel truly seen and heard, which I feel like is one of those primordial sort of basic longings, longing we all have as a human being. So I'm wondering if you could just speak to that a little further, um, whether or not that's a gift that you feel like you just hold inherently, or, or it's just come with practice, or, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. You called it a superpower. I love that. <laughs> That was like like this little frequency that went off. It's like, yeah, mm -hmm. we we all have superpowers, and and I love the fact that you recognize that as one of mine. So first of all, thank you, thank you. My divine assignment is to create and hold spaces of healing and self restoration. This is something that has been probably there since before birth. But the more I grow, the more I learn, the more I lean into eco-spirituality, the more I'm able to expand that gift and that superpower. Because one of the things that I enjoy doing is connecting through your eyes. And after connecting through the eyes, we connect through the breath. We don't even need to exchange words until we have that connection. And then once you have that connection, you know that you're seen, you know that you're heard, you know that you're valued. Mm -hmm. And when I when I look at eye contact and, and I like to observe people, so many people talk like this. <laughs> they're, they're looking off to the side, they're not looking directly like at you and, and, and into your soul. And I think the same way when it comes to heart conversations that I could turn my heart this way and look at you this way, but that is a disconnected feeling and relationship. So through the power of breath and this connection of heart and lungs, I can then create those spaces, hold those spaces, um, provide a sacredness that you and I will share forever. Like this right here becomes a sacred moment that other people will see, other people will hear, but we had it. And this is a memory that we will always keep and for me, cherish. Mm. I engage with people in that same way. I believe that relationships happen for reasons, seasons, and lifetimes. And sometimes the reason might be as simple as to say hello. Sometimes the reason might be as simple as being seen. My, my daughter makes fun of me all the time because she's the same way <laughs> that we will go to a grocery store or we will go out to a restaurant and I will ask whoever's checking us out or, or providing our service. So how are you today? What brought you joy today? What's life like? 
any anything to make conversation to let them know that their service is valued, but more importantly, that they are valued. So I feel like as a superpower that this had to have been downloaded is something that you you get to grow into, but that seed was planted way before me, way before me. My, my dad holds space. My mom holds space. My grandparents held space. My ancestors held space. There has been so much holding of space throughout the generations that I am even here. So I am simply paying it forward for everybody that has done it that allowed me to be in this moment to share with you. That is so, so beautiful. I love the feeling of it, you know, tracing all the way back, tracing that, that joy and holding space, that gift that now your daughter shares with the world as well. Indeed. Yeah. Well, tuning back to the sense of black joy in green spaces, and I wanted to also just um, tune into your walking art piece entitled Black Joy is a Stride, how movement yeah. moves the message. Um, movement and black joy, moving joy through the body. Like maybe we could tune into that for just a moment, you know, moving this idea of moving joy through the body. Yes. And actually, I, I just want to join you for a little bit. <laughs> yes, as we were rocking back and forth. And, yep. and when people go back and watch this, I want them to rock back and forth. <laughs> because I, I put that as the second line, that Black joy is a statement, which can be verbal, or it could be nonverbal. So as a nonverbal statement, you could see the joy in the stride. I mean, just that that dancing, that fluid nature. And it's not about catching a certain beat <laughs> because offbeat is still on beat somewhere. But if you're moving and you're having this beautiful moment of, of peace and love, then that's what we aim for. But in particular, with Black Joy is a stride, there's just something about watching beautiful happy black people walking and owning that joy. There's just something about watching it. When I was in the neighborhood, I was watching this man push his little baby girl in a carrier. And she she was asleep. <laughs> she, she was completely knocked out. But he had this little bop to his walk. I don't know if he was listening to music or not. He had this little bop. He had this little groove going with his daughter. So both of them, and that could have been what kept her asleep, that, mm. that soft rocking. But there was a smile on his face. And in that exchange, no words, but the stride provided a statement about Black fatherhood. That stride provided a statement about love. That stride provided a statement about commitment. I don't know this man, but I got all of that by watching him for a few seconds walking down the street with his baby girl. The other thing that I appreciate about Black Joy as a Stride is because when I invite 
Black people into my art, my art practices in green spaces, it's about slowing down. Artistically, I may have them walk at their regular at their regular pace, but when I record it, it's in a slow motion, so that when I play it back, you see literally the strides. It's an invitation without words. Once again, going back to that statement, verbal and nonverbal. It's an invitation without words for us to slow down. Specifically for black women to remove that metaphorical cape associated with being the strong black woman. That, that narrative is tired. That narrative will strangle the life out of us. That narrative will keep us moving, but not a slow, deliberate, intentional, loving stride. And when I say loving, loving of self, loving of others, loving of community, loving of nature, you don't have time to pause when you're constantly trying to take care of everybody else. So I kind of look at my art practice as a stealth intervention. It is an invitation for you to come and support this art practice, but it's an invitation for you to slow down. <coughs> I get choked up <coughs> because I'm thinking about this last practice, excuse me, this last practice that I offered and I'm, I'm fighting back the tears simply because I watched four people the mother, the father, the, the boy who was maybe seven and the girl who was maybe four. That is the first time that I had a whole family engage in one of my art pieces. The idea that black joy is a stride can become a generational message Kendra, <laughs> I cannot tell you how powerful it was to watch the playback, mm. to witness the father walking in this place of pride, this mother walking in this place of pride, and then to see the kids following. Am I doing okay? Am I, I'm doing okay. All right. We're all walking together that we were in green spaces and we were slowing down to be present with mother earth, but that became a conversation to be present with your family. That became a conversation to change this multi-generational narrative of just constantly going. What I'm creating in my dissertation is a praxis of pause that we build pause into our day and we allow for time for reflection. You can't get that if you're running all over the place. Black joy has to be a stride, a place to slow down, be present and love. That was a long answer, but you got me going. <laughs> that is great. And I love, I love your hearing about your stealthiness in uh in in the rest you know in the pause it's really really hard we're all so conditioned 
to, um, you know, just such freneticness. So to be able to, I mean, really presence itself is sort of like an endangered creature these days on the planet, you know, so having that stealth and inviting in um, opportunities for presence and connection. Um, Yeah. Beautiful. Are Are you familiar with wide awakes? No, tell me about it. Well, I can't give you the full history of wide awakes. I will when I finish the dissertation. Okay. But we have a quote that has truly been inspirational for, as you put it, my superpower. Mm. But their quote is, your present presence is a present. Beautiful. This right here. Yeah. Your present presence is a present. If we look at every interaction in that moment as a gift, then that means we're receiving gifts every single day. You don't have to wait for a special calendar holiday to get a gift. Every day becomes a gift when you look at the present and being present. So I just love that quote. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. Well, I'm wondering if there are any simple practices or any ways in which you you work kind of on a regular basis um, to sort of push back or tune into um, within your own psyche or culture's deeply indoctrinated belief in separation from the living world. I feel like in our language, in the ways that we um, think and interact it's always from this this place of separation so i'm, I'm wondering um yeah if there's any it doesn't have to be anything really specific but i'm wondering you know how that's resting with you lately about how i push back yeah like or or just in terms of um because to me it feels like first there has to be the recognition you know there's a recognition for example of um our sense of you know, extraction, like, you know, nature is ours to take or to have, it's mine, like that we have very extractionistic tendencies in so many ways, um, or even our ideas, ideas around like ownership of place and property and um, land, things like that. So um, yeah, just to me, it feels like this continued framing of um, the, the human nature split, you know, this sense of separation. Um, so yeah, wondering if, there, if you have any thoughts on that. When, when you said push back, I was like, I got it. <laughs> I know the answer, but my pushback <laughs> is like around capitalism. Uh-huh. And my pushback is around expectations that I prioritize self and in prioritizing self, the first two hours of every day belong to me. I can engage in my spiritual practice of journal writing. I can engage in a spiritual practice of reading. My absolute favorite, but right now it's turning cold, spiritual practice is sweeping. Mm. So I push back against capitalism in that way because I'm not on that clock where you are demanding of me. Like I always say in in my talks and even like some small workshops that we have to press pause on the demands of the day 
until we address the demands of self. And however you define that as addressing the needs of self and the demands of self is what I suggest in terms of pushback. My spiritual practices don't align with everybody's, but it works for me. So the invitation is to find what works for you. And in terms of ownership, that becomes even more challenging because you, you do want to say, this is mine. <laughs> this is mine. This is my work. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's a beautiful place that you could draw the line in the sand where you can share ownership. That beautiful place to coexist. And it's not about mine, 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 mine. When it comes to Mother Earth, this is hers, but I am temporarily sharing a space with her. Life, and, and this is what used to be very corny to me, life is short. I'm almost 50 years old. If I am lucky, I will have another 50 years. In the grand scheme of things, for how long Mother Earth has been around, a hundred years is nothing. So temporarily we coexist and I need to build the relationships with her and invite people to, to build relationships with her that remind us that we're never alone, mm. that we coexist in these spaces. And in, in that alone, we can have conversations and have those heart exchanges with something, a living being spirit that does not communicate with words, but communicates through a love language, as you put it, an eco-intimacy. There's dialogue happening every day with that elephant ear. Every day there's a dialogue, uh -huh. but I have to slow down, push back, and be present with Mother Earth in order to get those messages. Yes, making the space to listen, to connect. Well, I'm wondering, I mean, you you, you told us about, um, you, you gave us some sense about your your plant friends. What was that, your plant babies? Um, is that Everything. the term? Everything, Everything. All, in all the above. <laughs> Kids, my plant, <laughs> babies, yeah. yes, everything. Well, I'm wondering who else is, um, you know, in terms of sort of more than human kin and friends, who else is bringing you joy these days? Um, how else you're feeling present and connected? Trees. Trees. Trees, trees, trees. Um, I, I'm laughing because I know my brother's going to go back and watch this. And he laughs at me <laughs> in a supportive way, in a hey. supportive way um, because I love trees so much. Mm. And I, I, I love how, what they represent. I love their presence. I love their height. I love the symbolism. Um, the idea that the top of a tree is called a crown. When I refer to black women, I refer to them as queens. Mm. and making sure that our crown sits on high. When I look at a tree, I look at the branches 
and how they extend and, and touch one another. And I can see our ancestors in that space, reaching out, loving and touching one another. When I look at those branches that sit even lower, because some are really high, like I love pines. I love, I love pine trees. But some of the trees that have this really wide base and sit low, just on Friday, I saw one of these beauties and it looked like a hug. <laughs> it looked like the branches were extending their arms to me. So when I go out, I, I feel trees. I, I receive the love and the energy of trees. I look up. And, and part of that is that invitation as well. See, <laughs> observe, yeah. be present. That, that trees also not just provide life, but they hold life. I watch birds build nests in trees. We have cardinals flying everywhere and they rest on the branches. So I'm like, mama, you getting some good rest in today. Your mama's home. Mama's home. Uh -huh. yes. Mama's home. Yeah. And, and to think about the shade that the tree provides, it's a comfort. I remember reading a passage about Alice Walker and, and her mama just needing a moment to rest from the labor of the field. And it was the gentle breeze that nourished her and gave her enough energy to keep working. A tree did that for Alice Walker. A tree does that for me. I love trees. Oh, it's beautiful to witness what happens in you as you talk <laughs> about trees. It's a thing and I can relate. Yeah, I really can. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to think about this planet without our elder trees and all that they model to us and and the and the just this this in, beautiful reciprocal relationship that we're in with them and right now um i'm just there's a tremendous amount of leaves on the ground and i just had the thought this morning of what would happen if all those leaves all that nutrition that goes back you know it's just what if that didn't exist like it didn't you know move through it didn't release and then re-nourish um, the ground and then it all you know begins again i mean it's just such a just amazing to to pause um and to be present with the cycle and where it is and um yeah to be our beautiful beautiful tree elders and friends and yes. queens and mothers and grandmothers so all that all that mm -hmm. and this was not in our discussion notes but this just happened mm. that i am a part of a research group and we recently received a grant from for the Center for Anti-Racist Research. And I am bringing the arts-based research component to the study. And we're looking at anti-lynching laws mm. and changing policies because there was a um, Claude gentleman by the name of Claude Neal, who was the last, if not the last, it was one of the last spectacle lynchings in Florida. So not only am I coming in through art-based research and interviewing the descendants, I am also looking at healing the tree. Mm -hmm. 
I am so excited to be invited into this space where now we're about to engage in a whole different view of these lynching trees because yes, first and foremost, it should be the healing from, from the, the racial trauma and the injustice. Um, but also somewhere down here, <laughs> recognize the life of course, but somewhere down here, realizing that that tree was not planted to serve the purpose of lynching. That tree is also holding the pain mm. of what it was forced to do. That tree became weaponized just as the perception of the black male body has become weaponized. I do not put the two on the same plane, but I acknowledge that there is a conversation and an opportunity to go in and heal trees and start that conversation. So this just happened at the end of last week and I am so excited to be involved in this project and on the journey of healing, healing lynching trees. That is so powerful. Whew. Yeah. Well, it's tell us. Yeah, it's like, it's a, it's a sadness, but mm -hmm. then there's that black joy in there as well, mm -hmm. which becomes another part of my discussion in my research that it is possible to hold those two emotions in the same body. Right. That there is a lot of black pain, but there's also black joy in that same body. Mm. The conversation that we had about the pain of cancer and hypertension and diabetes, there's still joy in those bodies. So I don't know. I just got on, got, you talk about trees. I just went somewhere. <laughs> That's great. Yes. Well, tell us a little bit more about some of your other offerings or anything else that you wanted to tell us about what you're doing. You're up to so much, Chris, that, you know, <laughs> in a beautiful, good way, because you have so much to share. <laughs> right. And I have to back away from some of those things so that I can be true to my words and press pause. Mm -hmm. But I feel that a lot of times when I'm invited to have these conversations about Black joy, I, I get emails and I get phone calls from, from a lot of white women that say, we love what you're doing. We want to know more about your research. Will you come and, and speak to this group? And how can we help move your message forward? For Black joy to exist, it is the Black body. I am focusing on Black women. But I also acknowledge that within the concept of Kwanzaa, there's a second principle, which is Ujima. And Ujima means collective work and responsibility. So if I'm adopting the principles of Kwanzaa into my work of Black joy, then it becomes the collective work and responsibility of all of us to change the narrative and provide a new lens through Black joy. So what I did was I created an experience called Self-Love Sunday. 
And it's just once a month and people can sign up to, to experience a moment of self-love. And for the registration cost, they get a bottle of shea butter that's called self-love. And we go through an hour and 23 minutes of loving ourselves, like wow. literally sharing love with ourselves in a community of people loving themselves. So we're elevating the love frequency. So for maybe the first 30 to 45 minutes, I am engaging in some wisdom that comes from my healing garden. But then I invite everybody to turn off their cameras. And then we use that shea butter to show gratitude to our body. That we place the shea butter at, on our feet. Right foot first. Spend one minute putting the shea butter in loving up on yourself, saying thank you to your toes, thank you to your ankles, thank you for, for the bottom of your feet, and thank you for your heels. One minute of gratitude can change your life. But imagine moving all the way through your body, putting little bits of shea butter, and of course, shea from the tree. <laughs> There's that tree connection. That's right. Um, putting a little bit of shea on your body, going from body part to body part, showing love, appreciation, and gratitude. And then we sit in that space of love. Then we come back together. So in this experience of self-love Sunday, people get that bottle, that jar of shea butter. People get the download of love, but then they also have the opportunity to gift that. Once they experience it, then they can gift that experience to somebody else. And that somebody else is more than likely a black student at a predominantly white institution. I'm currently at Florida State University and that's where I want to start giving back and helping the, the younger generation. I, I see these young queens on campus running, 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 involved in campus activities, trying to do five classes at the same time, that at the age of 19 and 20, the concept of pause has already escaped them because they've already been hit with the download of the strong black woman narrative. But after people have experienced self-love Sunday and they know how good it feels to them, they then have the opportunity to gift that in place of, or in honor of black joy. So that's what's going on. And that's the last thing I'm doing right now. <laughs> until, I, until I finish my dissertation, that's the last thing. Wow, well the power of touch, the power of like using the shea butter and tuning into yourself that way. And um, like it's, it's there's so many layers there. It's really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're welcome to join in if you would like to. Be <laughs> Lovely. That sounds, it sounds just delicious. It sounds, you know, like, like just edible. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. I like that. <laughs> yeah. 
Now we don't want people to eat the shea butter. That that's not that's not advised. But the <laughs> is delicious. Yes. 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 Well, you know, thinking about the skin as our largest organ and, you know, wanting to put something on there that that like almost like we could eat, you know, something that um, is that pure and beautiful and lovely for our bodies. So, yeah. And then Wonderful. when we connect, connect that to aromatherapy, mm -hmm. so we have the touch, we have the senses. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's, it's going to be amazing. So we're, we're only going to limit it to 12 people for for this first one coming up in November because we want to see what what is that threshold in terms of intimacy I don't want a whole bunch of little boxes on a zoom screen I want to be able to look into your eyes I want to be able to connect with you mm -hmm. uh, at the end I want to be able to take my time and give everybody kisses as I go through the closing I, I want to have this intimate exchange of love so we're, we're trying to figure out where that sweet spot is, but we're going to start with 12 right now. Yeah, that sounds just about right. Uh -huh. <laughs> to still hold a, that intimacy there. Yeah. Yes. Indeed. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to, to, so I can be in your loving presence, Chris. Um, you're yeah. just such a light in the world, and I'm just honoring all the work that you're doing. And just it's it's huge importance in the world. And um, yeah, just thank you so much for being with me this way. Thank you for you. Yeah. Thank you for for bringing up the self love Sunday conversation. Thank you for asking the questions about the tree or or how I rub against the earth. Thank you for creating a space for other people to come and share their stories. And, and I send you love and light as you go on your journey of building this platform because it is needed. I appreciate you. Soaking that in. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. You're welcome. Well, so much gratitude to everyone for listening and for spending their time with us in this way, as we do continue to make space for bountiful amounts of joy and love for everyone, as we continue to find new ways of relating and being in kinship, and as we continue to bring an open-armed adoration and devotion for this wild earth. So stay tuned to hear more from the TJ Collections. And I will be posting all of Chris's amazing offerings in our show notes. So much love to you. Bye for now. Hey, hey, y'all. It's your girl, Chris Omni. Back once again. Y'all know me. Known as the health hippie. I'm traveling the country collecting stories of true joy. This is called the TJ Collection Series for a reason, because of my dad. My dad is the original TJ, Thomas James. It's just as simple as asking two questions. One, what brings you true joy? True joy, man, family. Family. Being connected to people that I love. Knowing that I'm loved. Mm. And especially when I feel it from someone I don't even know. Uplifting myself, motivating myself, trying to get to another level mm. in my life. 
that I had not paid attention to before. Enjoying every moment, embracing all the memories with your children, talking to them about life and seeing how their day was and laughing and giggling and, you know, I've done that and, it, and it's such a joy. Kansas City is one of the heart and places of two-stepping. Um, so actually coming together as a community and just doing the same movements or having a common movement within each other, not knowing each other from each of all those walks of lives and connecting with music. Loving God, my children, my grandchildren. Taking care of people. I've been a nurse all my life. Nature brings me true joy. Just peace and quiet and just communing with nature. Health. And being able to be a light to others. Mm. Mm. That's what brings me joy. Two. What was it like to have me ask you what brings you true joy? The first thing that came to my, my mind was my family. It touched something because, you know, when you ask me, it, it just like lit something in me. I really, I really appreciate that you asked me that. I, I appreciate it. I'm used to it because every morning at work we do what we call a gratitude circle. It felt like someone really cares. You. You promote joy, you promote peace, and so it was something I expected. By thinking about it, um, it just, it moved me. It made me take a moment to pause and just be realistic with myself. Everyone can say children or whatever, or things that they deal with every day, but actually digging deep to figure out what makes you happy is important. I'm in Kansas City, Missouri, and even though I wasn't born in Kansas City, Missouri, I was born in Topeka, Kansas, it feels good to be back in the Midwest. It feels good to be home. But I want to talk about my answer because I've been asking everybody else, what brings you true joy? There are several different answers and I only have a minute or two, but the inspiration for this movement, this new passion, is the T and the J. Thomas James, my dad. I haven't always had a close relationship with my dad. It really started developing when my daughter was born, and, I, and that was 26 years ago. But the, the depth of our relationship has really occurred within the last 10 years. And, and now I'm 46 years old, and I feel like a daddy's girl. And so it's never too late. So when I think about my dad, and I also think about COVID, I watched my dad almost transition because of COVID. That was that moment for me. I was like, I, I have to do more. I want to do more. I, I felt like my hands were tied, but this is my answer of doing more. What was it like to have the question posed to me? It was, it was confirmation. It really was confirmation that the life choice that I'm about to make, um, people don't know it yet, but I'm about to make a very big life choice by the end of this year, that I'm making the right choice. And listening to other people's answers, 
confirms that. So what was it like to have me ask me what brings me joy? It was confirmation. It was divine confirmation. That's it. Traveling the country collecting stories of true joy in honor of Thomas James. This is officially going to launch on Tuesday, October the 5th. It's going to be TJ Tuesdays. It's my dad's birthday, his 75th birthday. And dad, when you see this, this movement is in honor of you. Thank you for bringing me true joy. I love you.